Anahi. Please open up. Thanks, guys. How we doing? Um, well, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm also going to play some songs for you, if that's okay with y'all. Uh, I could tell by the worship, y'all like your music, man. Man, y'all getting down. And can I just say, I've been to a lot of churches all across the country. And they tell me that Sunday is the most segregated day of the year, or of the week, right? And I look around at this church, I'm like, man, I'm seeing different ethnicities. I'm seeing older people, younger people, all in this together. I'm like, and that's just a testament to what God does. He brings together people who maybe in the world's eyes wouldn't usually get along, but we have something in common, right? Is that we all in this place needed to be redeemed, and we got redeemed, and so we are a grateful people in this room. Uh, amen? Oh, okay, okay. So, um, but it's not always that easy to just believe these things and applaud these things. Sometimes it takes a lot of time and kind of takes a rough road to get there. So I'm going to play you this song. It's called Greater Than All My Regrets. It comes to haunt me It tells me what I've done It reminds me what's gone wrong And when my sins are laid before me My Lord, you take them on Yes, my Lord, you take them on So if I fall and if I fail Trust your mercy is greater than all of this. And if I bend and if I break, I'll trust the hands that hold me are greater than all my regrets. You are greater than all my regrets. You are. Father, I know I break your heart When I choose my way When I doubt your love But you take me as I am A child Yeah, you whisper in my ear Let's get up and try again So if I fall and if I fail Trust your mercy is greater than all of this. And if I bend and if I break, I'll trust the hands that hold me are greater than all my regrets. You are greater than all my regrets. You are greater than. You are, you are. So I heard that phrase in the middle of a storm of should-ofs. Anybody have the should-ofs in your voice, in your head? Man, I should have done that differently. 
I should have made that decision sooner. I should have said yes to that business opportunity. I should have listened to my wife. Can I get an amen, fellas? And all the ladies are like, amen. You better say amen. Um, I was having the should haves made that decision sooner. Uh, a couple years ago, our band, we cut the number of shows we were doing in half, which was crazy because I got four daughters. Pray for me. I have four daughters. Having four daughters is great. It just means someone's always crying, and it's usually me, okay? Um, <laughs> and no, I know there's like some football dudes in here. You're like, you praying for that boy? No, I'm not praying for a boy because the Lord gives girls to a family that already has a man. Um, But in order to be the father I needed to be, I was like, man, this career is getting in the way. And so I looked at my wife and I was like, all right, we're going to do half as many shows. I think our daughters are going to eat half as many meals, but we got to do it, you know. And we did it. And you know what? We did make less money. But shockingly, that next year, my daughters were like, hey, dad, I really love having you home more. It's like they'd rather have me than a new pony. So I'm doing something right, you know? Although I'm sure they'd take a pony if I got one. But that next year, I should have just been like, oh, look, God came through. We made this hard decision and God's provided. But instead, all I could hear was, you should have done this sooner. You should have been home for those dance recitals. You should have been home for that birthday. And I still get choked up when I think about it because I think that my decisions have ruined the trajectory for my life. Amen. And I'll say this. I meant to have a slide for it, but bitterness is the belief that God got it wrong. Anxiety is just the belief that God's not going to get it right. Regret is the belief that the choices I've made are so terrible that God can't make my life beautiful again. And I was struggling with that. God, have I made such a mess that I've done irreparable damage to my children of being like an absent father in the name of my career? And those, those voices had me down on the kitchen floor. I mean, I was down. I was... Crying and crying. And that's when I felt God whisper, Hey, Mike, I'm greater than all your regrets. What's done is done. Let's get up and try again. What else are we going to do? <laughs> and, uh, when God said that to me, he sounded exactly like Bob Ross. Y'all know who Bob Ross is? He's back on Netflix for you younger generation. He's an artist, got a big old beautiful afro, and he speaks in the calmest, most beautiful tone, and he teaches you how to paint, Right? And I used to watch him as a kid. I watched hundreds of episodes of Bob Ross painting. I never learned to paint one thing. Because I would just take a nap when he'd start talking. I was just like, oh. Because one of the things he would say is he'd look at the canvas and sometimes he'd make some paint stroke that he didn't mean to make. And he'd go, oops. But then he'd look at the camera and he'd go, now remember, boys and girls, in the joy of painting, there's no mistakes, just happy little accidents. It's funny, right? 
because I don't look at my life that way. When I make a mistake, I want to get the eraser out. And I want to take that part off the painting and say, this would be a lot better if this wasn't part of my story. And yet in that moment on my knees on my kitchen floor, I couldn't help but God was saying to me what Bob Ross was saying to me. Hey, Mike, stop trying to erase the paint strokes. Stop trying to erase your mistakes and let me embrace your mistakes. And you just might find the very thing you were most ashamed of becomes the very centerpiece of the masterpiece of your life. How many people can say, it's my failures, it's recognizing and accepting my failures is where my ministry is now in my life. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're still trying to cover up. Maybe you're still trying to put a blanket on the painting and you're like, no, I don't want to show people those dark lines. But if Jesus is our example, what God does best is take ugly things and turn them into beautiful things. Because that's what he did with the cross. Amen. That was the ugliest moment in all human history. And somehow God weaved a masterpiece out of that. And he wove redemption for you and for me. So if you're fighting the should of voices in your head, let them in, man. And say, hey, that thing you're trying to get me to be embarrassed about, to hide, to put away, that is the very way that God is going to show off his mercy in my life. So I'm going to embrace this thing. Um, so here's, here's a little thing. We're going to get started off this way. Um, I know some counselors. I've been to some counselors. I've seen therapists. I know there's this weird stigma in the church. You're like, we're not supposed to say that we see therapists because we got it all together. Can I just say, if you admit that you need saving, you're a desperate, wicked sinner in need of supernatural help by the grace of God, then why can't you admit to people that you need to talk to someone every week? All right. We're all in therapy. We just call it different names right? We're all in recovery. We just call it accountability group. Um, so anyway, my therapist, he's got this thing and he says, Hey, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to go back to that mistake. Okay. Okay. It's like, now I want you to ask yourself, where is Jesus in the room? And what is the look on his face? And when I first did this, I was like, oh, he's mad. He's not even looking at me. And he said, look harder. Because Romans 2, 4 says, or do you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? In other words, I could take a thousand steps away from God and still it only takes one step to be back with him. And when I turned around and I started thinking about that, all of a sudden, Jesus' look on his face, it got a lot kinder. And so I'm, I'm going to sing this bridge of this song. And if, you, if you're into this sort of mystical sort of experience, I want you to maybe close your eyes and ask yourself, what are the places in my life that I still haven't let Jesus embrace? Because I'm scared he's mad at me. So go ahead, right where you're sitting, close your eyes. You're like... Man, who is this long-haired hippie guy come in here telling me to close my eyes? Honey, I know I just packed the car. Let's go get, let's leave right now. I don't like this guy. Um, 
you guys see that Super Bowl commercial? Pack the cow. My dad's from Boston, so I appreciate that. Pack the cow. Okay, anyway. Um, so close your eyes. Say, Jesus, I've been hiding this mistake, this part of my life from you, because I don't know. If you like to sing, you can sing this bridge with me. It goes like this. can sing. I heard you earlier. Come on. How are we feeling? All right, cool. Um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little. I'm gonna talk a little bit. Um, and before I get to what I'm gonna talk about, let me just throw up this verse that I just kind of quoted without you knowing it. It's Ephesians two ten. It's one of my all time favorite verses. Okay, and this kind of be the center of what I want to talk to you about. It says, "For we are His workmanship." Can I get an amen? The 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 Greek word some of you guys may know this is poema. So some translation says we are His poem. I love that. Poems are carefully crafted. Every word is on purpose. Psalm 139 says you are knit together. That, that, that you have a very specific, that you look the way you do because God wanted you to look that way. That you laugh at the things you laugh about. You ever been in a movie theater and you're the only one that laughs at something? There's like a joke, you're like, ah! And everyone in the theater is like, and, 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 and when we start to feel our uniqueness, a lot of us get ashamed by it and we try to stifle it and we try to conform it because we don't want to stand out. 
And God's going, yo, don't you know, I made you. You laughing at that joke and feeling awkward, it's because you're the only one of you. It's beautiful. And we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. I love Paul's always, you know, Paul never uses the word Christian. He says, you're in Christ. Way different. Way different than, I'm a Christian all out on my own. No, he's like, you're in Christ. Behind, before, above, behind. Like St. Patrick prayed, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ below me. All those stupid things you've done. He's above it, he's below it. He's in front of it, he's behind it. And I, I have some friends who just, uh, who just walked through divorce. And what, their, what my friend's father said is still ringing in my ears. This happened a couple days ago. I was talking to my wife about it, and it's two of our really close friends, and we've walked with them for two years just desperately pleading with them to not get divorced. Anybody feel me? You're like, bro, you were, you were like on a good train. Why are you talking about divorce now? Because I want you to remember this as I talk. His father said, you know, I think my son really made the wrong decision. I think he could have saved his marriage, and he didn't. And it breaks my heart. But here's what I know, is that God is always in the redeeming business. He goes, and you know what? If they had committed to each other, I believe that God would have redeemed their marriage. But now that they've chosen divorce, guess what? God's not going to stop trying to redeem them. And sometimes we try to justify or cancel out whether or not we're in God's will by the choice we made. Can I just tell you, God is still after you no matter what choices you've been through. And he's still after redeeming your story. Amen? Um, Can we throw that verse back up? I ain't done with that yet. Creating Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, great. Which God prepared beforehand. Great. God has prepared everything I'm ever going to do so I can just put my life on cruise control and my Tesla is just going to take me there. I'm not even, I can kick back and just put my feet up. But then this last part really bothers me and this is what I want to talk to you about. That we should walk in them. So, here's some good news. You're in Christ. He's going to redeem you even apart from your best efforts to not get redeemed. Right? He's after you. The hound of heaven, he's been called. Right? Right? And he's put you in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's the best part. He's created a bunch of stuff for you to do. But you get to choose whether or not you're going to walk in them. Because I don't know about you, and this is what I'm going to talk to you about, is I feel like I'm ready to do what God wants me to do. Okay, God, tell me what to do. And he's like... Y'all feel me? God, am I supposed to, so am I supposed to like, am I supposed to be a plumber? Am I supposed to be a lawyer? Am I supposed to be a dentist? And he's like. Check, check out this, ver, this, uh, this quote I got for you by Royo May. Um, my, my buddy sent me this article. I got up early this morning. I started reading this article and it was talking about right now in American Western society, we have more food. We have better lifestyles we have more accessibility to luxury than anybody who's ever lived. Like anyone, even if you're the poorest person probably in this church, you still live like a king compared to someone 200 years ago. You can get on your app and food will come to you by way of a car. 
and give you, you're like, what do I feel like today? Do I feel like Chinese or Italian or do I want a burrito? What do I want? That's crazy. You live in a crazy time. And so everything should say, man, as we've, everything has gotten more easy, more comfortable, that our lives should be happier and better, right? But here's the crazy part. All the statistics, everyone's doing thing right now. And our American culture is more depressed than ever. We're more anxious than ever. We're more fearful than ever. Suicide rate is rising. You're like, what is going on? Everything should be getting better. And Nietzsche, who I, I know he's probably not often quoted from your church stage, but he said that depression is anger toward inward. Okay, but I love this quote by Roy Yomei. Depression is the inability to construct a future. That depression happens when we start looking into the future and we just can't figure out what to do. And, and here's the worst part is because some of y'all go, exactly, and I've been asking God what I should do and he ain't telling me what I should do and so I'm starting feeling depressed because I can't construct a future. And in the church, a lot of times when we don't hear something from God, it doesn't look like depression, it looks like paralyzation. You know how many people in this church probably like walk around like, I don't know what to do next because God hasn't given me permission to do it. So you just don't do anything. So I want to talk to you about my book. Here's the next slide. Uh, this is pretty much the reason they asked me to come in here because I wrote a book. And it's called Finding God's Life for My Will. Okay. Now I can't tell you, I'm going to reread you the title. Finding God's Life for My Will. Because I've done like a bunch of interviews and stuff already and people go, Oh, so you wrote a book. It's Finding God's Will for My Life. I'm like, no, it's Finding God's Life for my will. And they're like, oh, very clever. I'm like, I didn't say it to be clever. I said it to drive the point home. Because here's my point. So many of us think that God, all he wants to do for us is be some cosmic pirate who hands us a treasure map and goes, follow this and you're going to get to my purpose for your life. And when I read the scripture, here's the deal. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where I'm promised that God is going to make my path clear. And I would even say clarity is one of the biggest idols in the church. Because you don't want to fail or look foolish. Here's the trick. God wants you to fail and wants you to look foolish so that your identity and your Savior is no longer yourself but is Him. He, he ain't afraid of you looking stupid. He's like, no, that's good for you. Because then you're going to cling to me. Okay? So check out this, uh, this little quote I put up for you. This is a, a buddy of mine. He's, he read my book and he said, I feel like this is the summation of your book. They did, God didn't promise he'd always be clear. But he promised to be close. And what if that's better? What if that's better? Just a couple more scriptures for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That, that word acknowledge in the Hebrew is actually, in all your ways, like it says like lean upon Him as if He's a wall. As if He wasn't there, you just go fall over. In all your ways, know Him is another way it's translated. Okay? Um... God's word is a lamp unto my feet 
not a floodlight to my interstate. How come, how come God doesn't want it to be clear? How come it's just like, oh, okay, now what? Okay, now what? Okay, now what? Why would he do that? Because if he just gave me a big old floodlight and I knew the whole path, guess what? I don't need you anymore. And what if God really, more than he wants success from you, he wants intimacy with you? So like, no, 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 God, I want you to make me a big deal and give me a lot of influence. And he's like, I want to be your life. And so, so here's the deal. Let me pray real quick. Um, Father, or real long. Maybe I'll pray for a long time. I don't know. Father, uh, I have like so many things I want to say to these people. And I acknowledge that I don't, like Michael Jr. said, I don't want to be in here for six hours because people got places to be. But um, if they stayed for six hours, I'd stay for six hours. Um, But Father, uh, would you just like really pinpoint what we need to hear from you today? What are, you, what are you really after? And I, I have a feeling that a lot of us can't hear you simply because our idols are louder. And we've got so many agendas of what our lives need to look like and what they need to be. And so we can't actually hear the next step you're asking us to make because, honestly, Lord, it's just not that sexy. And we want to be a big deal. And God, you're saying, no, you are supposed to be a big deal. That the glory is yours, not ours. Um, Anyway, God, I just pray you just make sense of everything I'm trying to say to these people. And uh, that you would just uh, do what you do, which is redeem us and remind us how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's real quick. So if I were the pastor here, I would open up a scripture, and we would walk through it verse by verse. I love that. Um, but Revelation says you overcome by the, pow- by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. So I'm kind of like, like a little uh, break from your usually scheduled program, and I'm here today just to kind of tell you my testimony of how I've come to believe that it's actually good that God doesn't give me all the answers. What if I could convince you of that this morning? That it's actually beautiful and wonderful that you don't know what's next. Okay, I'm listening. We'll see if you can make your point. So, real quick, um, as a kid, my mom thinks it's hilarious that I'm in church talking to people, writing songs about Jesus, because as a child, everything pointed to the contrary. There was no hope for me. Here's a picture of me as a kid. Um... Oh, don't let the cuteness fool you. I was mischief mayhem all the time, okay? My mom, the, the Disneyland episode is one of the most stark cases where, you know, she had me on a leash. I was a leash kid. You guys remember the leash? And my mom had me at Disney World, and she was walking along, and then all of a sudden uh, she said, a boy that looked like you ran by me. And I looked down at the end of the leash, and I had another kid on the leash because I had taken the leash off and like put it on some random kid. This kid's like, ah! (laughs) My mom got arrested that day. Um, (laughs) Hit the next slide. Uh, To just prove to you, I, in seventh grade, I got sent to the principal's office 42 times. One year. One year. Um, this, that's chapter two of my book. Um, do the next slide. 
And if it weren't for this guy, I'm, I'm actually wearing the same sweater. Look at that. Okay. I need to expand my wardrobe. Um, that's Randy Brunk. So I actually just hung out with him. He was my seventh grade principal. I got sent to his office 42 times. And one of the best times I can recount to you is when he caught me stealing candy out of the candy machine. You remember how like candy machines used to be able to like stick your arm in there and you could like, I'm giving the young guys like an idea. Sorry about this parents. But, and you could like get the Skittles off the bottom row. And uh, I was in the middle of that and Randy Brunk walks in to the candy room and I'm like, huh. Hi, Randy. I'm stretching, you know. And he says this to me. And this, I, I say this to say, um, if it weren't for the grace of God, we're all out of luck, right? And Randy Brunk looks at me and he says, so, Michael, you're telling me your integrity is worth 50 cents. I always thought it was worth a lot more than that. And that not only changed my life in that moment, but it changed the way I parent my own children. Because it's so tempting to see someone not as the poema or the masterpiece or the workmanship of God. It's easy to just identify them by their failures. And it carries over to the way we view ourselves, right? And I'm tempted when my own, my six-year-old June, she's like just crazy. And it's, it's so tempting to go, ah, oh, you're such a disobedient problem child but then I remember wait a second Randy Brunk looked at me and there's this there's quote that's attributed to a lot of different people it says you treat a man as he is and he'll remain that man but you treat a man as he could be and as he ought to be he'll become what he should be and isn't that true that Jesus looks at all of us and he says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation I'm like no I'm not he's like yes you are it's like he's trying to convince us to believe that we're actually, our integrity is worth more than what we think it is, right? And um, I, 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 it was a couple years later that I read this book, Les Miserables. Give me the next slide. Um, has anyone read this book, Les Miserables? Uh, no book has profoundly shifted me more than this one. And you might be familiar with the scene, Jean Valjean is a convict, and he gets out of prison, right? And he gets out of prison, and he can't find a place to stay, and there's this bishop who brings him into the, the church, and overnight, Jean Valjean, he steals these candlesticks, the silver candlesticks, and he runs out into the night, and he gets caught and brought back to the bishop, and he stands there before the bishop, and they say, he said you gave him these candlesticks, but we need the report that you, you know, he stole them from you so he can go back to prison for the rest of his life. And the bishop looks at him and he says, oh no, I gave them to him. And you know what, I'm so glad you brought him back because you forgot the silverware. And that wasn't the scene that changed me. You know what's the scene that changed me? Is right after that, a lot of people aren't familiar with this because it's not in the musical, but it's in the book. Jean Valjean goes walking through the countryside and he's just torn up. He just can't. No one has ever shown him mercy his whole life. And, and he's sitting there because hey, he's just walking. He's like, why? What is going on? And this little kid comes walking up and he's flipping a coin. And the kid's flipping a coin and he drops the coin and it rolls up and he hit, it hits Jean Valjean's shoe. Jean Valjean looks down at the shoe, looks down at the kid and he puts his foot on the coin. And this little kid comes up and he starts beating on Jean Valjean. He's like, give me back my coin, give me back my coin. He's crying and he's weeping and Jean Valjean won't take his foot off the coin. And the kid runs away crying. 
This is right after he's received this insane mercy. And Victor Hugo, the author, he says, in that moment, Jean Valjean knew that he had a choice. To receive and be melted by the bishop's kindness or harden his heart to the mercy that he received forever. And that, dude, as a 10th grader, I went, this mercy that I first received from Randy Brunk, I need to give that mercy. So I'm feeling good, right? 11th grade goes by, and then I get to my 12th grade year, and I'm just like, yeah, God's good. My life's amazing. And then this happened. Give me the next slide. So I was in a car, September, my senior year, and my buddy starts driving the car, and we catch the edge of this road, this country road in Virginia I was living. And he overcorrects, and the car starts skidding at 50 miles an hour like this. And then... Witnesses say it went off the road, flipped five times in the air. There's actually like paint from our car that was like 15 feet high on this tree. Came down. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. So I was Peter Pan style out the window, hit the ground, broke my back in two places, broke my face right here, as you can see. They actually, there was 96 inches because my ear was actually dangling off. All the women are like, yeah, all the guys are like, cool. Um, I flatlined five times on the way to the hospital. And I sat there just angry at God. You're like, you're alive, Mike. Because, you know, the doctors, they said, man, you're not going to make it through the night. And then I made it through the night. And then they said, well, you're never going to walk again. And then three days later, I got up out of my bed and I was walking. And then they said, well, you know, you're never going to run again. And that fall, I was trying out for the basketball team. And uh, they said, well, you're never going to make a full recovery. And I was like, oh, yeah? These hips don't lie, all right? And so I am this, like, living, breathing example of God being better to me than I deserve. And yet, in that moment, I was still frustrated that God ruined my senior year. Like, Mike, you're alive. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't get to finish soccer season. You know, I missed like eight weeks with my friends laying on my back. But you know what else happened? For two months, I was laying on my back waiting for my back to heal. First time I ever asked for a guitar. So follow me here. The time I'm most upset, most angry with God, he's going, I'm preparing you for the thing that is going to be your ministry for 20 years. (laughs) Okay. Um, And prepare me to meet this lady. This is my wife right here. Mm -hmm. I outkicked the coverage, guys. Let's be honest. Um, And that was the whole thing. The first chapter of my book, and I'm running out of time, but I was going to tell you about how, how difficult it was for me to propose to this woman. So difficult. And the ladies in the house are like, it shouldn't be that difficult, bro. We are a prize. You shouldn't have to pray about it, okay? But I was terrified that, yeah, she's beautiful. She loved God. Show me the next slide. Like, we would dance together. We had a great time. This is at a wedding. We're like, oh, man, everything's beautiful. But what if she's lying to me? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if we get a week into the honeymoon and she takes the mask off? She's like, and I'm like, ah! 
I just couldn't handle that, you know? Um, and I started dealing with it, and I'm like, God, just tell me. Just tell me, yes or no. Am I supposed to marry her? This is what I'm trying to get at. Tell me the next step. And God started going, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I said, that's not what I asked. Am I supposed to marry the girl, yes or no? He's like, I work all things t- together for good for those who love me who have been called according to my prayer. I'm like, now you're just avoiding the question, Jesus. Get back to the matter at hand, okay? And I realized why I couldn't hear whether I was supposed to marry her. Do you know why? Because I didn't want to actually have to love somebody. Hello? Because I knew she wasn't perfect. And in my head, I was like, no, no, no. When I get married, she's going to descend on a white horse from heaven with wings and a harp. And it's going to be like, this is the one. And she's going to serve me and make me feel good about me and do everything that boosts up my ego and my self-esteem. And instead, God gave me this woman who's like, hey, you're being an idiot. (laughs) And God's mercy wasn't to edify my idolatry, his mercy was to undo my ego. I know so many, I mean, I know so many marriages where they are having the biggest old fight because the guy's going, God's telling us to do this with our family and move here. It was a, friend, a couple of friends of mine were like, he called me up. He's like, my wife, I'm, I know we're supposed to move to Miami and work at this church. But my wife wants to move to Tampa to be close to family, and she just needs to get on board and realize that I'm the head of the family, and she needs to submit to me. I said, hmm, tell me how that works out, bro. (laughs) Because if I read Ephesians 5, it says you're supposed to serve each other. And it says that, yeah, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. But can I ask you a question? In the relationship of the church and Jesus, who outserves who in that relationship? So husbands, I would argue, if someone's supposed to outserve somebody else, you're the one who's supposed to be outserving her. And maybe the reason God told you one thing and he told her another thing is because he wants to teach you humility. To actually listen. I've talked to my parents and my dad, he's gotten really vulnerable with me. And he said, some of the biggest mistakes I ever made leading our family was not listening to your mom. It's almost like Jesus purposefully gave me some information and gave her some information so that we would actually have to commune together, which that's the point. Can I tell you guys a secret? Can I tell you a secret? I don't have any idea what I'm doing. But guess what? I know Chris Tomlin. We've toured together. He doesn't have any idea what he's doing. I, yeah, I, name him. I know Mercy Me, you know, Lecrae. Uh, I, I know all kinds of like Christian celebrities. And guess what? They all have this in common. They don't know what they're doing, but they trust that if they make a move, God's with them. Amen. 
Let me, let me uh, read you my summation of this book. It's called Run with the Horses. Uh, show the next slide. This is a, a book by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote The Message, okay? Um, I, dude, I was so arrogant when I was younger, and I was like, I'm not reading The Message. That is a vulgar expression of the Bible. It's not true. And, and then I started reading more about Eugene Peterson, and he, walks, he used to walk seven miles to his mailbox every morning reciting Greek and Hebrew scriptures in the actual language, and he would wrestle over which words were translated. And suddenly I was like, okay, maybe I should give it a shot. you know. And I read this book, which is, he's talking about the life of Jeremiah, who's a prophet who never saw success, never saw fame, was never really celebrated or listened to his entire life. And Eugene Peterson says, he was a success in the eyes of God. Let me just kind of give you my summation of the book. He basically talks about Jeremiah and he says that God is meant to be communed with, wrestled with, complained to, and praised. Read read the Psalms sometimes. Makes a pretty good point for that. God isn't someone or something we merely talk about. God is not an idea to be studied or a problem to be solved or a genie to be used. He's our treasure and we are his. He's meant to be communed with, not merely talked about. So, let me say this. The problem, right, is that we want answers from God. But what God wants from us is faith and trust. And last time I checked, in order to have faith and trust, I can't know what's next. Like, why does God do that? Why does he want trust? Why doesn't he just want robotic obedience? That would be so much easier, right? If it's just like, do this, yes, sir, do that, yes, sir, do this, yes, sir. Why all the mystery and the blindness and the wondering? And I think about you know, we're compared to a relationship with our wives, right? And I think about how my wife, how it's like, well, what do you want to do for Valentine's Day? Just tell me. What's my wife going to say? I want you to want to do something for me. <laughs> hey, what do you want for Christmas? I want you to know what I want for Christmas. <laughs> Why won't you answer the question? Because my wife wants my obedience and my gifts to be an overflow of our intimacy. And in the same way, God doesn't want a bunch of people just doing the right thing. But a bunch of people who are in love with him. Who can't get over the fact that we keep making the wrong moves and he keeps redeeming us. And the more God keeps catching you, the more you start to believe he sounds not only like Bob Ross, but Cindy Lauper. If you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting. Time after time. Everybody. If you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting. Everyone. That, that is kind of the gospel, right? <laughs> You're like, this guy is off his rocker. Okay, so th- three quick points because I got to wrap up here. Fork, frequency, Freddie B. And I would add follow and failure to that list if you like the F's. Um, but we'll get these, th- real, these three real quick and I'll sum up. What does God want for my life? 
fork. Um, well, let me say this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Do we have that slide? Let me just read you this scripture real quick. Rejoice always. There's a pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay? Be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in the circumstance that you're in. You see, we talk about the will of God. And the thing about the will of God is there is an immediacy to the will of God. And you can't go, hey God, tell me what occupation I'm going to have. And God's like, okay, cool. Um, Where are you at right now? So I make smoothies for my daughters. Show the next slide. I make smoothies for my daughters every morning, right? And uh, we use this Vitamix. It's like 700 horsepower. You can like put a shoe in there and it incinerates it. It's amazing. And I make smoothies for my daughters because it's the only way I can trick them eating, into eating nutrition. Right? They're just like, cheeseburgers and french fries and soda. Kill us. Kill me, dad. And I'm like, you got to eat some spinach. You got to eat some you know, spirulina. You gotta, and I put all this stuff in a smoothie and I mask it with like this chocolate meal replacement powder. And they're like, smoothie, smoothie. And I was like, I've deceived you. You're eating nutrition. And... Um, this one morning, I'm standing there, and I'm making the smoothie, and my, my daughter, my, I, I joke, because my 10-year-old daughter, she has like a poltergeist vibe about her when she wakes up in the morning. She's got really long hair, and she always wears these like nightgowns, and she always creeps along, <laughs> deathly silent. So you, you never know she's coming, and she's on the landing, and she's like, hello, daddy. And I'm like, oh, what do you want? And uh, I'm like, quit being so creepy. And she's like, okay, daddy. <laughs> Your kids have like a funny waking up vibe, you know? And uh, she's like, are you making smoothies? Well, I was. Now I got to go change my pants because I just peed in my pants. Um, She says, can I help? And I said, yeah, you can help. So I I just forked half of an avocado into the smoothie. Again, I'm hiding nutrition, right? And I'm putting the thing in and then I drop the fork when like she scares me. And uh, she's like, well, can I help? Yeah. I was like, we're going to put some spinach in there. She goes, spinach? I go, I put it in there every morning. Just put it in there. And she puts in a big handful of spinach and the coconut milk and then the da-da-da-da. I forget the fork is in the Vitamix blender. She goes, can I turn it on? Sure thing, babe. She hits the on switch and it, the poltergeist thing got real. All the lights are going, and sparks and smoke. And they're like, I'm like, it's possessed, you know. And then all of a sudden the fork, out the side of the Vitamix blender. Smoothie sprays days all over the kitchen, right? The fork, you know, it burst through the side. The, if it went out here, the fork hit the wall and put a hole in our wall. I'm like, that would have killed me. We come to God and we say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's the plan? What's my career path? And he goes, hey, you still bitter at that guy? What? Yeah, you still bitter? You still not forgiving that person? Yeah, so? He's like, so you want to just keep adding more to your life? Just more, 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 more. And the whole time, there's still a fork in the blender. So it doesn't matter how good you can make your life look and how much you can add into it if you don't deal with what I'm asking you to deal with right now. 
And we're like, no, I want to know 10 steps from now. He's like, you're not even listening to the first step I want you to take today. Why do you think you're going to get a 10-year plan when you can't handle a 10-minute plan? And the 10-minute plan is, I don't want you to be bitter. Let there be no root of bitterness in you because that's what gives Satan a stronghold in your life. If there was one thing I could impress to you that if you want to follow God's will for your life, it's forgive everybody. Forgive everybody. Because weren't you forgiven? Right? And if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with the fork, it's going to come out sideways eventually. I've seen it over and over and over. Guys' lives that look good, good. I mean, go on the news. You see it every day. They look good, they look good, and then the secrets come out. So get the fork out of here. Frequency. Do the next slide. I'm almost done. You know how walkie-talkie works? Walkie-talkie works. You got to go through the channels. It's like Aaron. I heard Aaron Neville on the radio sounds like someone going through a walkie-talkie. It's like a radio. Um, anyway. God, what's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? And then we get to the channel where he's speaking and he's still doing the fork thing. Yeah, forgive that person. And we're like, oh, I don't like that. Let's find another channel. God, what else are you saying? Yeah, forgive that guy. I, God's just not talking to me right now. I'm going through this season of just absolute silence from the Lord. And, he's, and, and it's just, I don't know. Forgive that guy. Forgive that guy. Forgive that. I don't know why. Frequency. And frequency, I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, pray without ceasing. That should be wonderful and annoying at the same time. Because you know what that means? Pray without ceasing? It means you never get to stop asking God what his will is. You're never going to arrive and get there, and now I don't have to talk to him anymore. You've got to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Dude, I'm in a season right now. I don't know if our band is going to keep going next year. You know why? Because I'm not going to just set my life on cruise control and just because it's worked in the past, assume that that's what God has for me in the future. Because I'm so scared to death of failing that I would rather coast than live in an active, flourishing relationship with Jesus. So frequency and frequently. And the last thing I'm going to read for you is Freddie, Freddie Beek, Freddie B, Frederick Beekner. He, he was actually a New England pastor. He's still alive. I think he's like 90 years old. And if you've never read any Frederick Beekner, get into him, man. And I'm just going to read you this long quote from Frederick Beekner. So he's talking about the word vocation, right? What are we going to do? It comes from the Latin vocare, to call. And it means the work a man is called to by God. There are all different kinds of voices calling you to all different kinds of work, right? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than of society, say, or the superego or self-interest. Some of y'all are missing the call of God because the thing you know he's really impressing you to do doesn't get you the influence and the notoriety that you want. 
by and large, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work, A, that you need most to do, and B, that the world most needs to be done. Check out the next slide. If you really get a kick out of your work, you've presumably met requirement A. But if your work is writing TV deodorant commercials, no offense if that's what you do, the chances are you've missed requirement B. On the other hand, if your work is being a doctor in a leper colony, you have probably met requirement B, right? That's what the world needs. But if most of the time you're bored and depressed by it, the chances are you've not only bypassed A, but probably aren't helping your patients much either. Neither the hair shirt nor the soft birth will do. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. We get in so much trouble when we only ask, like Irenaeus said, he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. But if that's all you ask is what makes me fully alive, you just become a narcissistic jerk. Because it's all about you. Or you come over here and you're like, what does the world need? Leper colonies, people are sick and dying, people are impoverished. Okay, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. And then you burn yourself to the ground. But what Frederick Buechner is arguing is that if you really want to know what God's called you to do, ask yourself this. What do I want? Jesus asked that of people all the time. Matthew 18, or Matthew 20, Luke 18. He's asking people, what do you want? What do I want? Oh, Don't ask me that, Jesus, because then I need to be vulnerable with you. Don't ask me what I want, because then I can't indulge my self-pity that you haven't worked out my life the way you should. God's like, what do you want? Okay, what do you want to do? Oh, you want to dance? Okay, cool. That's only half the question. Now just ask yourself, how can I do dance in a way that meets the world's needs? And that, my friends is when you've got passionate, alive people who are still service-minded, who don't need the notoriety because they are full doing the thing God has uniquely wired them to do because you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He has prepared in advance for you. You just got to walk in it. Amen? I'm going to play you a song close. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'll take it. And uh, Chris was telling me that this church, you guys always give some space. That if you need to respond in a physical way, that you can come down here and kneel and pray. Um, So I want to invite you, if you just feel like you need that physical movement of, God, I need to surrender. You know, I need to let go of the dreams that I had so that I can start to dream new dreams. Maybe you need to surrender to God's kindness. You've been resisting it because you know that receiving God's mercy means you have to give that mercy to other people. Whatever it is, whatever you need from God, come on down here or do work in your seat. I know there's some volunteers who are going to talk to you. I'm going to play this last song. I'm not going to lead anybody in a prayer because I think the Holy Spirit can lead you. Uh, but take some time and say, God, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to give up? And where do I need to go ahead and take a step, even if I haven't heard from you? Because taking a step actually honors you because it shows I trust you. Like Indiana Jones from that lion's head. 
taking a step can honor God. Somehow you want me 
Thanks, guys. Hearing um, some of what was said this morning took me back to a, a New Year's Eve prayer service. And I was sitting right over there and I said, all right, Lord, we're coming to a new year and I need to hear about this and this and this and this and this. And I caught myself and I said, no, you can just talk to me about whatever you think you need to talk to me about. I said, I might be dealing with this stuff and just be mowing the lawn. But what you want to do is you want to pluck up the weeds. Come on, somebody. <laughs> hey. And there's something about having the openness to God to let him just do what he's going to do, say what he needs to say, that deals with the real issue, not what we think is the issue or not what you think you need, but the real issue behind uh, what's going on. And uh, I, it just took me back to that moment in time, which was a real defining moment, because that was probably the last time I ever went to God with my list of, all right, I need to hear this, 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 and then we'll go check them all off, get them all done. But I, I learned to say, you go ahead and talk about whatever you think you need to talk about. Because I know, I'm thinking that, okay, we need to address this. And God will address something over there that's connected to this, and I don't see the connection. But he does. He's smarter than we are. Hallelujah. Well, I tell you, thank God for... Uh, uh, for for uh, the the impartation into our hearts today, something that you can take and apply right away, something you can take and run with, and we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, receive an offering. <laughs>